One Week Season. Welcome to the OWS First Peak Podcast, where we are going to be talking about some of this week's games that may be flying a bit under the radar. This is your host, Ben Fritz, BFritz12 on DraftKings, Twitter, and in OWS Discord. And today I'm joined by Lex Moralia and Majestic. What's up, guys? What's up? Yeah, I just heard a whole bunch of. Uh, <laughs> I can tell we're. Pumped it's like to that be here. classic. It's like classic Zoom entrance where like you don't know who's going to say anything first, and then it's like either way it just comes out so unenthusiastic because we're like, oh yeah, week eighteen. There's like two games that matter. Let's go. <laughs> yeah, it's going to be picking through this late. Like I've so far, all I've seen is that the Bengals are going to be resting starters, but I'm sure we're going to get word from more teams, and uh, yeah. it's just semi preseason, semi competitive like it's just a weird week yeah do you guys uh we i kind of mentioned it offline but do you guys normally play in this like i mean normally it's week 17 and i kind of mentioned like i don't usually play a ton of week 17 just because like i don't know it's just so hard to wade through the uncertainty but do you i don't know do you guys like that do you not like that I'm uh, a uh, I'll play any week. <laughs> <laughs> that I agree with too. And I was going to say, I've honestly had some of my better weeks in week 17. I think, I don't know if it's just, it could just be like very, you know, it just happened to happen on that week. But like, I've just sometimes have enjoyed playing through like all the different kind of backup situations and whatnot. And now it can be like more work sifting through it all and stuff. But like, I don't know, for some reason I've just had more success. It seems like. Yeah. Yeah. I think it can be, potentially be fruitful like you said if you're willing to to really kind of like dig into stuff and i think there's plenty of the field who who won't do that and i mean i guess that's kind of with our pod today you know we we have games that we are we may you know we pretty much chose these because we want to talk about games that are relevant and where we have a little bit more certainty around the guys that are going to be playing um, but I think it'll be fun. I think it'll be fun because we'll have that, um, that little bit more of certainty and just some matchups that should set up pretty interestingly, uh, on another note, what's interesting about these games is they're actually all NFC teams and further, they're all on the afternoon slate. So we didn't do that intentionally. Uh, with the afternoon slate piece, but I think that's kind of an interesting thing to mention for anybody that does want to play short slate. We will be providing, because I think it's what, five games on the afternoon slate this week? Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, so, yeah. So we've got three of those games. So hopefully we'll be providing some information that's valuable for potentially playing that slate. Six games Lex is giving me with fingers here. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Well, cool. Um, Yeah. So with that, the the three games we're going to talk about are San Francisco at Los Angeles Rams, Seattle at Arizona and new Orleans at Atlanta. 
I guess we've got a lot of kind of fun pieces of this podcast today because the other fun piece is that uh, both of your teams are games we're talking about, guys. So Jess being the San Fran guy and Lex being the New Orleans guy. Starting off with uh, Jess's Niners here. So the Niners have a chance to control their destiny in this game. If they win, they're in the playoffs. The, the Rams are similar in that if they win, they can clinch the NFC West. And these things can also occur in other ways, but they can at least assure it this way. Um, but yeah, this setup is where we've got two solid defenses and capable offenses. And when these teams met in November, the Niners blew out the Rams in LA to a final score of 31-10, which was 21-7 at half. So let's look at the Rams offensive side of the ball first. Uh, you know, we know by this point in the year, what they can do, the weapons that they have, they can pretty much do, you know, do whatever they want, but they do tend towards the pass a bit. And that's what sets up for them a little bit better here. So Jess, I'll start with you. Um, I know you had mentioned in your notes that Stafford's been struggling a little bit recently, just kind of like looking a little bit off. And I, I definitely agree with that. So thoughts on the pass game and the setup and just the Rams overall on offense here. Well, their pass game could get a boost with all the, the guys that went on the COVID list today, like pretty much all the, the secondary is on. And then they activated Mosley from IR so he can practice, but um, only Josh, Josh Norman is the only starter not on the COVID list. They just put on Ambry Thomas. Uh, Juan Williams was on last week. Then they added Dante Johnson and uh, Lemoir, and then the free safety, Jimmy Ward. And L.A., I mean, they're, they're kind of a – you think of L.A. as a run-first team probably because of the, the golf era, but with Stafford, they kind of are leaning into the pass a lot more. Uh, they have the ninth-best net pass DVOA matchup this week. Uh, a lot of that is going to go to the short areas of the field. Both of these teams, basically, they, they want you to drive the whole field against them. They're not going to give up big plays. They're going to make you – chip away and drive the whole field. So looking at the way this sets up um, and you mentioned Stafford, I just kind of the, the past couple games I saw him, he's looked a little bit off and maybe he gets back, gets back on his horse this week. I don't know, but it could be, that could be the one part where the 49ers could kind of do something like their pass rush has gotten better in the second half of the season. Um, if they're able to harass Stafford a bit, maybe get him off his game, but he does have his best weapon right there in the short area of the field with Cooper Cup. So I, I would imagine they're going to lean on him quite a bit. He had, what, 11 catches, 122 yards in this game in week 10. So, uh, and the Niners also, like, as far as uh, receiving points allowed, the Niners are giving up the number eight most slot wide receiver receiving points, but they're also giving up, uh, well, I did a net targets matchup. So basically how many times the Rams target the slot, how many times teams target the slot against the 49ers. And it comes out to the number one net slot wide receiver target matchup. So cup should be in for a big game. Um, yeah, I don't know. Just, it's going to be interesting watching the COVID list on that secondary. Cause that's going to be, be huge for the 49ers defense. That's already, they already lost Barrett. And then if Mosley can't come back from IR, then that's, those were their two starters to start the year. And you don't want Josh Norman leading your, your secondary group out there, but 
their pass rush at least will help. It'll keep the, the passes short-ish. Um, he won't, and Stafford won't have as much time to just sit back there and, and read the defense and throw deep as much. But I don't know. We'll see. Yeah, I I don't have much more to add other than I think like what Jess is saying, you got to really pay attention to the COVID stuff. But uh, SF's done a really good job all year dealing with like a lot of secondary problems, like with COVID and injury and things like that. So they're not like unfamiliar with it, but at the same time, they're really getting to the edge of like what a team can sustain to still be successful back there. Um, and then the hard thing with the Rams is like this Stafford offense has been, it's almost been like up and down. So like they could easily come out you know, pretty much every week they're viable to put up a huge score, especially when you have a team like this, like we just mentioned with the secondary. Um, so I think all those guys in the passing game, like Jefferson and Beckham and Cup, they're all viable, you know, to look at in terms of like game stacking this from their side. The Rams are obviously really motivated uh, with the win. They're going to lock up the three seed or the two seed. Sorry. Um, so like that's obviously helpful to know as well. Um, I I think that the problem with, Stafford is just like some of the turnovers, like the, the decision-making that he can get himself into. But um, I, I don't know if like, they have a pretty good pass protection this year. Like it's been a much improved from the last couple of years with golf. So I'm not like as worried as I would be if it was in the state, it was the last two times they played. But um, SF has also kind of had like this offense's number. Like they've held the Rams to some pretty low totals over the last like six games or whatever. So I don't know. I, I, it's hard to take a definitive stance when you have this kind of wish-washy Stafford games like going on of late. But um, I, I do think that they're interesting stackable offense through the air. I'm not super interested in Michelle. Like if Akers gets touches, then you're taking away some from Michelle. But um, the matchup itself is just really tough to be successful on the ground versus SF. And they've done a good job against LA Rams in the past on the ground. So I, I'm not like super interested in Michelle this week, but I, I do think the passing game is interesting. Yeah, and the Rams have the ninth highest pass rate. So I, I kind of expect them to lean into that. And like you're saying with Akers coming back, like if you've got Akers and Michelle running a committee, it's not a good matchup to begin with. So I, the run game's pretty easy to leave out on this one. Um, this being such an important game, and I kind of would expect Stafford, I don't know, we'll see if he steps up or not, but they basically Shanahan has had McVay's number. Like they've won five in a row against the Rams. I kind of thinking if the the secondary <laughs> and the secondary has been an issue for years too. They've been playing with injuries and just weird stuff in the secondary for the past couple of years. So we'll see how that works out. But I definitely agree that the Rams passing attack looks good this week. And especially if we're the 49ers are missing some of the, some key pieces in that secondary. Yeah. And they held them to 10 points earlier this year. So like, that's obviously in the cards. Like, I mean, the Rams, it took that last drive last week to get from like, what were they at? Like 12 points before that drive. Like, so they, they can struggle. And like what Baltimore had probably more injuries in their secondary than SF does this week. Um, so it's, it's obviously like, you're just, there's going to be a lot of, there's a wide range of outcomes. I'll say that. Like, it's not like, it's not like they're guaranteed, you know, like how we would view, you know, Tampa taking on the Jaguar or something like that. Like they, they certainly aren't like a lock to score a lot of points, but it does set up where this game could have a nice um, high score. Yeah, I feel like that's kind of it is exactly what you said. That it, there, there are a pretty wide range of outcomes here, much wider at least than the Rams usually have, you know, for most of the year with a lot of the, you know, average to good matchups that they've had. We're pretty much just lining them up for like 
four plus touchdowns, but yeah, definitely doesn't necessarily need to be the case here. Um, you know, we have that, you know, the, the one game sample size from the the previous game they met. And then even like Jess said, or you guys both mentioned that um, they've kind of had the, the Rams number at this point. So yeah, I think it'll be interesting. I, you know, based on like what you guys are saying, seems like cup is again, just kind of, you know, he's just an elite play, even as a standalone piece. Uh, I think the more interesting piece will be like, do you pull the trigger on Stafford and then are you going to pull the trigger on a secondary option? Um, I don't know with that. It just, it's hard just cause it's like, you know, you could see both angles. It's like they, because they need to win the game, they, you know, Stafford could see potentially 40 plus pass attempts if they, if they need to go there. Um, but at the same time, yeah, I mean, it's just not a, not a great matchup. So, you know, those, especially those secondary pieces like Van Jefferson, and uh, Odo Beckham could definitely fail at least, um, you know, from the type of score that you would want to have out of them. So definitely an interesting spot, I guess, with that, uh, you would probably want to stack. If you're going to play Stafford, you probably want to stack him with two pass catchers, right? Otherwise not worth playing him. Yeah. So obviously, and then you've got uh, the number 10 net outside wide receivers target matchup. So you could get either Beckham or Jefferson. And I would probably go with Beckham just because he's a little more run after the catch than Jeff or uh, Beckham's more run after the catch than Jefferson is. So I think he would probably be more likely to, to make some, some catches that can turn into bigger plays. My, my only concern with those guys, like I was just looking at Odell's like scores. He had, I don't think he's even top 20 DK points at the Rams yet. Like, you know, like as long as cup is getting that big of a target share, like pl- playing cup or not playing cup is just basically like, is he going to absolutely crush and smash? Or is he just going to have a really good game that just doesn't matter at his price? You know what I mean? Like he's not putting up some dud that where these other guys are doing all the production. Like that's just not happening. So like really Odell needs to score like two touchdowns, I think to really help you, um, which like, if that's what you want to bet on, if you're building around this game, like that can happen. But like, it's, I think that putting him on a roster to me almost says that, unless cup is like getting hurt or something, just because from what we've seen since Odell was on the team um, and him splitting like production kind of with Jefferson, like he, and I also say that because now he's priced up to like almost 6,000. Like he really needs um, two touchdowns just because he's not getting enough looks to do like, unless he's breaking off some massive play, which we just haven't seen from him in a long time. I I just find it hard for, I just, it's hard for me to see him really helping your roster unless he's, he's getting in the end zone probably twice. I think think it's just cup and Higby caught a touchdown in the last game, but the matchup itself, like the metrics don't point to a tight end succeeding against the 49ers defense. So that's just kind of another way to, and the running game too. So you're taking away the running game. You're taking away the tight end. You're down to cup and what other receiver are going to make it happen for the Rams. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I think that's a good call to Lex just because it's kind of interesting you know, one of those other guys in Van Jeff or OBJ has to have a pretty substantial game in order to, to make it worthwhile, which could potentially cut coops, uh, coop <laughs> cups, um, production a little bit. And, you know, even if you're getting 10 for one fifty out of him, 
you're getting a hundred or you're getting 28 DK points, which is solid, but it is price, you know, not the best. So yeah, I think that I, that's interesting. At least, you know, if you're playing tourneys and do like the game, but want to try to bet on something a little bit different. Um, but yeah, I think in general, you kind of have to figure out if you do like the spot and you like the offense or if not, I think cup is obviously viable just given, you know, how elite he has been this year, but price considered obviously with the matchup and stuff still, um, may not need him. All right. We didn't need to touch on anything else on the ground. Right. I think, you know, Lex pretty much said it there in that, you know, if these guys both play, um, it's just, you know, it's not a good matchup. They'd be splitting carries. It's, you know, neither one is really going to have much of a ceiling plus guesswork. <laughs> yeah. All right. So flipping to the other side of the ball, then the Niners are kind of a, you know, smash mouth team run first and then want to set up the throw off that they will likely stick to that in, in this case, uh, in that November blowout, just cause I found this interesting. They ran the ball 44 times and, uh, Garoppolo only had 19 attempts, which he did complete 15 of. Um, and then just because it's interesting on the other side of the ball, the Rams only attempted 10 runs and Stafford threw the ball 41 times. So really, really <laughs> imbalanced in the way that that's set up. Um, but again, Jess, I'll throw this back to you here. I mean, clearly Shanahan loves Eli Mitchell. That's no, um, you know, surprise at this point, but thoughts on how the offense sets up here. Well, like none of the metrics really jump off the page. They're middle of the road, just about everything like 15 and net DSR, um, the run game, they're 15th and net run D of DVOA. So everything is just kind of, uh, you know, mediocre, I guess. But just the identity of the team itself is just going to push you to the, the players that will put up points. And that's pretty much just going to be Debo and Kittle. Uh, you could consider Ayuk if Lance plays because Lance and Ayuk have like a, a nice little connection. I guess Ayuk was the only guy staying after practice to work with Lance when Lance was trying to develop and get better as a passer. So they have a nice rapport together. And then that's the other part of this too, right? We got to figure out who's playing quarterback because if it's Jimmy Garoppolo or Trey Lance, it's, it's going to be a slightly different offense. Um, I actually think the game sets up better if it is Garoppolo again, because of where the Rams are weaker, they tend to be weaker kind of in the, the under middle part of their, their shell there. And, and except for the, the snaps that Ramsey's playing that star position where he'll probably I don't know if they'll like have him shatter or what, but I would think he's probably going to see a lot of Kittle and Debo, which might help Ayuk out on the outside a bit. But uh, Garoppolo's game is basically tight window throws to the middle of the field and moving the ball on those kind of throws, which is Debo and Kittle for the most part, and then some Ayuk. So and and use check, but I mean we're not going to use use check in DFS, but he is a, a handy piece in this offense, and he gets a lot of the the plays there. And then every once in a while, you'll see like Juwan Jennings or Trent Sherfield. But uh, QB news is huge, uh, mainly because one of the things that that I was looking at is the QB rushing points, points matchup. Um, the 49ers would have the number 11 net QB rushing points matchup for the week, which would be interesting for Lance. I don't know if uh, Shanahan would kind of want to let him run around a little bit in this game. And they also have the number 10 net pass DVOA matchup 
which is funny because the, the metrics say that it's the number 10 net pass DVOA matchup, but then again, they have the number 30 QB passing points matchup. So it's like, yeah, <laughs> they'll be completing passes, but you're not going to get much points out of the quarterback in this game unless it's Lance and he's running. Um, and it, maybe Lance does give a, a different advantage as well because the Rams won't know what to expect because we saw him at the beginning of the year when he was a gum pup and they were, you know, just, you know, if you don't like it, go ahead and run. And now he's staying in the pocket. He's really trying to find something and throw the ball and make the play that way. And then if it's not there, then he'll take off. And he's still good for 30 or 40 yards, even in that type of a situation. So um, I think as far as the 49ers winning the game, I think Garoppolo is probably the better play as far as DFS goes, I think. Um, and I haven't even looked at pricing yet. I've been a little bit behind. How much is he? 55. I don't know if I would play him at 55. I liked him at 48 last week. 55 is still reasonable for Lance, but yeah. Uh, QB news is going to be huge. <laughs> I always forget that I was on mute. Uh, so J yeah, Jimmy is like, I remember tracking like, like, I don't know when I stopped, but I had been tracking like since the Rams added uh, Ramsey, like all the quarterback scores against them. And they have allowed like so few quarterbacks to score like over 20 DK points. And Jimmy was like on there like once or twice. Like it was kind of wild just because the way this offense has been performing and the, the Rams had struggled so much with this like short area passing and like Debo and Ayuk like getting like all this production, like after the catch basically. Um, so like they, there's something about Shanahan just knows how to attack kind of this Rams defense, um, which makes that interesting, but obviously with the injury, like we don't know, even if Garoppolo is playing, like if that's going to hinder his, you know, ability in any way, we don't even know if he's going to play at this point. Um, Lance's upside, like justice. I mean, he, he's got that, the, the leg stuff that is always going to make him viable in fantasy, but, um, in terms of a matchup, like it's just not great. Like it's been tough to score, um, big, big against the Rams. Um, and they're not using him like so much where he, is in a situation most likely where he's going to put up a ton of points anyway, um, through the air at least. So I I'd say like, like you, one of those receiver types, like a Debo or a Kittle, like those guys are interesting just because one of them can get a lot of usage in like on a given game. Um, and then Debo obviously being used on the ground, like in the air gives him like two different ways he can be effective and like get in the end zone, which he's been like doing at an absurd rate this year. Uh, Mitchell's definitely interesting just because of the usage. Like you have to pay attention to that. Like, he's going to get a ton of these carries. Um, it's not the best matchup. You know, I'm probably echoing just so honestly, a lot of things Jess was saying, but like uh, he, when a guy is getting that much usage in an offense that runs the ball so well, like pretty much with whoever they're able to plug in there, like that's always interesting. Um, his bigger problem is just him. It is, he is a bit of a yardage and touchdown back right now. Like they just don't throw to the running backs a ton in the pass game. Um, so I would, you know, you're basically betting on him having those like touchdowns, which is like not obviously, but he's only 6,000 actually too. I'm looking at. So like, it's not the biggest deal. He actually is I honestly, all right, I'll, let me, let me retract. He actually is getting used more in the past game than I realized. Um, not like where it's a ton, like there's only been a couple games where he had a nice play, but it's not like he's completely barren. Like a Derrick Henry would be like in years past. Um, but again, I, I don't know. I, I'm kind of like rambling just because it's like, I'd like to be super positive and say like all these things, but it, it's just a matchup that I'm like, not too big of a fan of if they start falling behind and they're able to run less, like that's not great for him either. Um, 
I, I don't have a ton of interest in the the Niners like so- offensive side of this game outside of like you're building around the Rams putting up points and then SF having to throw because if they're not like forced to ever really break this game open, like they're just not going to have enough targets for any player um, to really feel confident that one of them's you know putting up a tourney- tournament winning score. I think by playing these guys, you're basically betting on a high scoring affair. Right, which I'm I'm not sure this is going to get to. They they've got the game set at 44, which probably is about right. And 20 mm-hmm. to 24 seems like a likely outcome. Whichever way you want to call it, that's probably around what that final score is going to be. So this may not be a super awesome game for for DFS, but it is one of the the games that we found at the time that had <laughs> more certainty as far as who was playing. Uh, we know all the starters are going to be playing because this is a high stakes game for both teams. Um, the QB news and then now the secondary news for the Niners kind of puts a little, you know, a little bit of uncertainty to it. But otherwise, I think this is going to be a great real life game, maybe one or two pieces for DFS. I, I think, too, like if you're just looking at kind of like the recent history of these games, like you can see the scores like the 31 10 or like 24 16 or 20 to seven, 20, but they also have like 31, 34, 32, 48, you know, like 41, 39, like it can go that way. When you have these two elite offensive minds um, on the coaching sides, like, and you have, you know, Stafford now on one, you've got elite playmakers on both teams. Like this game can be broke open. Like everything we just said, I think it's just like, just saying it's just more likely Vegas is expecting it to be lower. Like it, it probably is going to happen that way more often than not. Um, but it is still certainly possible. You can't, just ignore that fact either, especially when you have two teams that are both very motivated to win. I think that is important on a week like week like this too. Like both teams have a lot riding on this game. Yeah. And that supports what I was going to say too, is just that all it takes for a game like this to become, you know, instead of that 24 to 20 finish, all it takes is a couple big plays. And obviously these teams have guys who can make big plays. So yeah, love, love that. Uh, and yeah, I think, you know, like you said, it's, it's an important game. You got these, these two coaches that play chess, like they, they know what they're doing. They're going to try to out scheme each other. It's going to be fun. Like Jess said, from a, a football perspective, I'm excited for it. Uh, I think you do just kind of have to figure out how you're building around it because it's likely going to be, um, I, I, you know, I just kind of expect us to play close either way, whether it's low scoring or higher scoring, but yeah, I think you just have to kind of figure out how you want to build around that and just make sure your roster is staying consistent with that. Uh, the, the one other thing I want to mention on Eli Mitchell, just cause we were talking about some of the stuff about him. Uh, he got 27 carries in this game in November, but he did only manage 91 yards on that and you got nothing else out of him. So, you know, the, the volume is, it can be insane. Uh, and, but he still cannot produce simply because of the matchup and things like that. Um, Jess, I'm going to throw this back to you to kind of wrap us up. But the, the one other thing that I just kind of like stuck out to me was I actually kind of like Ayuk as a secondary, uh, like tourney piece here, because I don't know. I just feel like at his price, he's going to go kind of overlooked if this game does indeed become a little bit more back and forth, he, you know, he could very well see decent usage. And if he's the guy who ends up grabbing a touchdown or two, 
uh, I just think that's an interesting spot. So I could even see, because I don't love either quarterback necessarily here. I just, I feel like the most likely situation is they don't have much of a ceiling or at least not for uh, what I would try to be getting out of them. But I do kind of like something like a, a cup and Ayuk skinny stack in this game. Something like that I think is, is viable, but yeah, just kind of thinking out loud there. Uh, but yeah, Jess, I'll throw it back to you here. Yeah, I like the idea of a one-to-one correlated play on this one. Um, and kind of going back to the stats you were mentioning with Eli Mitchell, part of the reason he didn't go over 100 yards or didn't score a touchdown is because Debo was also getting carries in that game. He had 36 rushing yards and a rushing touchdown. And uh, that's kind of what I wanted to mention as we close out on this game too, is just kind of stats from two of the, the better Niner players. So Debo's last three games against LA have all been pretty nice. Uh, I mentioned he had the 36 and a rushing touchdown, but he also had five catches, 97 yards and a touchdown in that week 10 game. Um, he had 11 for 111 catches for 133 yards in the game before that. And then he had six catches for 66 yards and a touchdown in a game before that. So Debo definitely seems to have some floor against the Rams and he definitely has upside. Uh, looking at Kittle's numbers against the Rams, he's had 100 plus yards and four out of the nine games he's played them. Um, in the other games, four of the other nine games, he's had at least 50 yards and a touchdown. And the one game he didn't get either was his first game as a rookie. So Kittle has been nice high floor against the Rams as well. So I definitely like the idea of correlating. If you're if you're dipping into this game, like you don't have to just take cup. You can grab either Kittle, IU or Debo and, and correlate your play or Mitchell. I mean, Mitchell is viable too. So basically we just gave every single angle for this game and like we, you can do anything you want, (laughs) but it really, I mean, yeah, it does come, come down to, you just have to be smart with how you build a given roster around it. And if you're building a block of rosters, I would think that you would want to account for kind of all the the scenarios from, you know, not playing anybody from this game to, to playing a, uh, a back and forth high scoring matchup. Yeah. I was just going to say to add last, uh, especially with cup, you know, being priced so high, you're going to find And he's still probably going to carry high ownership, Like you just, you're going to want to find ways like to make that makes sense that he can justify his price. Right. Which is generally going to be the higher scoring games or guys on the other side that can push him to a bigger score. All right, moving on to game number two, which is Seattle at Arizona. So kind of the notable thing here is that the Cardinals can clinch the NFC West with a win and a Rams loss. Uh, Obviously, we saw a crazy (laughs) Seattle-Detroit game last week. How about that, guys? After, After we talked about it on the pod here, um, and that game just blew up. I like that. I, I don't even know if you guys happen to look into it, but like, when was the last time Seattle scored that many points? <laughs> no idea. They're usually yeah. too busy running the ball a hundred times. Right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, but so, so yeah, so we got the, the matchup here uh, again, these two NFC teams starting on the Cardinals side of the ball the, they should be able to score points like that, that we should feel pretty certain about. But the question is with this team, 
can we feel confident about where it's going to go from a DFS perspective? So I guess to start with the a piece that could be interesting to consider and will take a little bit of news is the backfield situation. And we've got Connor and Edmonds who just kind of continue to be banged up. We have an interesting spot here because of matchup. So Jess, I'll throw this to you here. Thoughts on what that will do for the side of the ball and then just any overall Arizona thoughts. Yeah. So Seattle's defense is allowing the second most DK points to running back. So we're going to want to pay attention to what's going on with Connor Edmonds and they've been for, for Arizona's sake, taking turns being banged up. (laughs) One of them has been on the field at least the whole time. Um, And Connor was back at practice today. Edmonds wasn't. I like this backfield if either one of just one of them plays and then I would play that running back or if neither of them play and then you get a really cheap Jonathan Ward punt play um, just because of the matchup like 10th most through 10th uh, most points through rushing and the most points through running back receiving points. So you're going to get Seattle both ways running the ball and catching the ball with your running backs. Uh, so hopefully you can find somebody who's going to get enough snaps and use, which would mean not a split, not splitting between Connor and Edmonds, unless Arizona decides that's how they want to win this game. And both of those guys are the focal point of the offense, but I don't know if I would bet on that so much. Um, yeah. And number eight and net running back targets in this matchup as well. So the backfield in this for Arizona is set up really well. If we can identify it, one piece to use. Lex, further thoughts on on that? I don't know, just anything to add? I mean, he had everything I would talk about with the running backs because I totally agree with all of that. I think that it's a really good spot. I mean, they've just been getting absolutely obliterated through the air, and uh, both Edmonds and Connor have actually been used pretty well uh, in the air, especially when they're you know the only one playing. Um, so I, I like those thoughts a lot. I think it's a super interesting matchup for them. And Arizona has so few like receivers at this point, you know, between like with Rondale basically being like phased out or just not playing well, like it's basically Ertz and Kirk doing most of it. So I, I think it gives those running backs a lot of extra targets and production, you know, available. So I like that for sure. Um, and then I was just looking into the receivers and stuff and Jess will probably have like specific stuff about outside receivers and whatnot, but um I do think Kirk's interesting just because he has like big play upside. He's getting consistent targets. Um, he's, he's, he's the, the best guy they have on the outside now. Like I know Wesley has caught like some really nice touchdowns of late, but like he still is like his highest yardage game is 30 yards. Like he just got two touchdowns last week and he's still in even top 20 DK points. And like, he would have re- provided a valuable score because he was probably in like the three thousands. But like, I just can't get myself to play a guy that like needs touchdowns like that badly to put up points. Um, and he, he's gotten a decent amount of targets. Like I see like eight, four and five, but like, I don't know. I mean, when you're only putting up like, you know, between like 10 and like 30 yards, like it's just tough to feel like comfortable putting him on a roster. Um, and I like earths a lot better just for that reason. Like his consistent usage is like so nice. Um, and he's one of the only guys left that Kyler trusts to like throw to Seattle's been struggling versus tight ends a bit, I, I believe. So I, I like the passing game here. I think everyone, from like Kyler to the one of the running backs 
to Kerger Ertz. Like, I think all of them are very interesting in this matchup. Um, Seattle's Evans has not been as bad as they were like earlier in the year, uh, but they still have definitely given up some production. And I, I think that this Arizona offense is interesting for sure. Well, yeah, and Kirk plays slot, which is what Amon Ra plays, who just thrashed them last week. Um, I mean, there's a lot to like on the Arizona side of this game. One, they have the highest team total on the main slate. So they're expected to score a lot of points. They have the number five in that DSR matchup, which is good for them. They'll be moving the ball and getting yards and points. Um, number four net pass DVOA matchup. They have the number seven quarterback passing points matchup. Um, and it without Hopkins, the, the offense, the targets really have condensed around Ertz and Kirk. So if you're looking at pass catchers to stack with Murray, who's a good play, I, I would play Murray naked or I would play him with one of his pass catchers. Um, Ertz and Kirk, they, they're still the leaders in targets. If Connor can't play, Edmonds has been getting, I think he's had, what, six targets each of the last two games as well. He's like kind of right behind them. Um, and then Wesley has been interesting, and I played him in a few laps last week just because his role is basically, he's kind of like, he is their red zone target. He's six foot five, 200 pounds, and he's going to be going against DJ Reed, who's only five foot nine and 188 pounds. So I do think his red zone role will bring some value. I liked that role better at 3,600 last week than I think that's how much he was last week. Yeah. Then 4,100, like he was kind of sneakier last week, but he, and you're counting on him. Like you're saying, you're counting on him catching two touchdowns because his yardage, it is kind of like what DeAndre Hopkins was doing this year. Like most of the season, Hopkins wasn't putting up a ton of yardage, but then he would catch a touchdown or two and kind of salvage his his DFS score. Um, it, Wesley just needs to catch up on the the yards part of it. But if if we're looking at this game, say both of the, the top two running backs play, then I, I really do have a lot of interest in a Murray and Ertz or a Murray and Kirk stack or all three of those guys. And again, we're looking at, I think I, met, I brought this up last week, Seattle's defense has allowed the second most pass attempts, completions, and yards. Uh, but they're mostly going to running backs and slot receivers at shallow depth. Um, and then they let those guys run after the catch. So you're, you're looking at a team that just can't tackle once the, the opponent gets the ball in their hand. So the, the run after the catch part, that's going to be, you know, a big strong guy like Ertz breaking tackles or somebody who's kind of quick and nimble, like Kirk getting, getting the ball and taking off. But with th the thing with Kirk that's different than St. Brown though, is Kirk tends to get targeted farther down the field than St. Brown gets targeted. Like uh, he's less run after the catch than he would be, or than a, a normal slot receiver is, but still his role, he he's been able to hit some big plays in the past. Uh, he is getting high volume for what this offense is doing right now. So uh, he's interesting. Yeah, I was actually going to mention the, the exact same thing right before you said that. Like, whereas, like, typically the slot receivers, they're getting those shorter area ones and, like, across the middle. And, like, that's where Seattle's gotten beat up. But, yeah, Kirk's not necessarily running, like, those exact type routes. He is getting used way more down the field. So that does make it, like, I still think it's a good matchup for him. But, like, obviously that's still something he struggled. He didn't, I think he only put up, like, 20 yards in the first matchup versus them. Um, so maybe that means, like, Green gets more usage. But I do think that the his matchup overall is just better. Uh, but maybe also like just with you saying that about St. Brown and all the stuff he does after the catch, like that could be, you know, something where maybe like a Rondale Moore finally has a game where he's able to like take advantage of like the poor tackling and do stuff, but he is also dealing with an injury and he just missed last week. So, or 
not last week, but uh, why does it say? Oh, yeah, yeah, it was last week. Okay, sorry, I just got confused by that. Um, so like he might not even play, but like maybe that is a situation where he's able to take advantage and they use him in creative ways. Kind of like I think St. Brown had a rushing touchdown right last week. Like they were using him in ways even like Debo a bit. So it's like if they're able to do that with Rondale, like maybe at a uh, like I think he's like mid thirty nine. I guess he's a little little too expensive but like he could put up a nice score you know if, if they use him like that but uh i don't know if i'll go that way i just thought it was interesting when you pointed out like yeah like the ways that some of these guys have attacked seattle yeah i, I like that point too because i did want to like rondell Moore when i was kind of looking at that and he he has had some games like against minnesota he put up 27 uh 14 and a half against the niners 16 against seattle <laughs> so oh yeah there you go <laughs> 11 uh, catches for 50 yards <laughs> at 3,900. He's, he's a little bit sneakier and he's kind of the, the sharpest play at receiver based on what Seattle's defense is doing. I do wish he was just like a little bit cheaper. I know like he's in the three thousands, but even if he like low three thousands would just make me feel like a little bit better. <laughs> um, but like, even with the stuff that you guys are saying, I, I think a lot of that really does support Ertz as a good play. And, you know, like you mentioned, Jess, with, you know, run after the catch. Uh, and he just, he really has been the go-to guy in this offense. And there's nothing really that points to Seattle being able to to stop him here. Um, so, yeah, with that, I mean, I think Kyler is interesting. You know, if you do get one of the running backs being out, I think you could potentially even go Kyler running back receiver. And again, I think, you know, you can make an argument really for any of these guys. I think that is, that does make it a little bit harder if you're playing single entry or something like that. But uh, if you are playing a multi-entry of any type, I think, you know, stacking this offense up in just about any way makes sense to me. All right, so let's go to the Seattle side of the ball then. Uh, I mean, the, the short story is like they don't have a, a super easy path to success here. You know, generally, we, you know, we talk about it, we joke about it. They want to run the ball. They want to control the game. And they just aren't likely to have that luxury in the situation. So, uh, you know, the question then becomes like, how do we expect the likeliest way for them to attack? Uh, Lex, I'll go back to you here. Thoughts on that? Uh, I mean, the likeliest way they attack is always going to be, you know, through the run just because of like the, the way they play. Um, and I do think they like, they could have success there. Like Seattle's, I mean, no, sorry, Arizona's um, been improving like all season long. And um, from where they started, because like at the beginning of the year, I mean, they were getting absolutely torched on the ground um, by some of these running backs. Like, I mean, Dalvin cook was like gaining like 10 yards of pop, like before he like got hurt in that game. So like they've definitely improved on that front. I think I just saw like their fifth in rush defense DVOA, DVOA. So like they're not in like some, you know, they don't jump off the pages, some run defense you want to attack. And I think they've allowed either the fewest or second fewest rushing touchdowns um, to running back. So like, it's not like some crazy good matchup for Penny. Um, but I don't think that it's like impossible. I, I do think that, you know, I was looking at Vance Joseph over his career and like, he's never really had good run defense throughout his career. Um, and I, I think that this is a spot where Seattle still could have success. Um, and that's where you obviously start your thinking with Seattle. Like I just said, is like, they're, they're going to try to do as much as they can. I mean, how many times did Penny run last week? Like 25 attempts, like, and granted it was a blowout, but like, that's the whole point. Like, that's what they try to get to. 
Um, as far as like the passing game, I, I, I don't think it's like the best matchup. Like, you know, like the Arizona generally has been keeping things in front of them, like uh, with Vance Joseph and like, um, it's led to some actually big locket games, but Metcalf has like really struggled because like he just, they're keeping the top down. I'm sorry. Like they're not letting him get over the top. Um, and I think I, I just looked to Metcalf in five games versus Arizona. He's totaled like 10 catches for like a hundred yards and a touchdown. So he's averaging like 20 yards a game. Like he's really struggled versus Arizona. Um, and I think Jess actually has some stats about them being weaker on the outside this year, um, with some of their injuries maybe too, but just in general, at least his recent history versus the same coached defensive Arizona team. Like he's, he's really struggled. Um, and even Lockett, he had that, like the game I'm thinking of is that 200 yard game with like three touchdowns. But other than that, he's not like been putting up some big scores either. So the passing game as a whole has been kind of limited just because of the way Russ likes to throw downfield and the way Arizona's kind of kept things in front of them. Um, it's made it tough for them to put up these big passing games. Um, so I'm not like super interested in that. Like, I think Penny is still the most interesting, like even with Arizona playing well on defense, like I still think just his touch potential and like the way that um, he's kind of dominating that backfield right now. Um, we said last week that he's a pretty much a yard and touchdown back, which is like, still pretty much the case. Like, and he did go end up scoring two touchdowns and racking it up 170 yards on the ground. So like, obviously he hit there last week, but like, that's still like the point, like he's, he's got to do all of his production basically on the ground and get in the end zone for him to be useful. So I think you have to keep that in mind. Like when you're putting on the roster, that's exactly what you're saying. You're saying that production goes through him and not like one of these receivers is not catching a couple touchdowns. Um, and Metcalf, one last thought before I passed it off. Like he had, three touchdowns last week and he's still only at 30 points. Like Metcalf just does not have these huge games in his career. Like he's still only basically put up 60 yards. I think he had scored touchdowns on like half his catches. Like he's just not putting up these massive scores. And like his price isn't now what it would have been, you know, in previous years, but he's still one of the most expensive players on the slate. And I, I just think it's hard to justify in a matchup that he's just not put, he's never, let's just say this you can occasionally get helped by Metcalf. Like he can put up a nice score for you, but you're rarely like drawing dead. If you don't roster him. like, he's just not a type of player that's ever going to leave you in the dust. Yeah. I'm going to start with Penny because are we sure that they, they, uh, cut, uh, God, why can't I think of his name now? <laughs> Adrian Peterson. Is that Adrian Peterson and a Richard Penny Jersey? Like that's <laughs> the type of stats he's putting up right now. <laughs> Yeah, you're getting your yardage and touchdown guy, and it's and it's hitting like it just keeps working. So it's kind of one of those things. Like that's what they're going to try to do, and they don't need to rest him. He's a free agent, so I, I mean, I think maybe they can pick up an option on him. I don't even know what his contract situation is, but this is basically his last game in Seattle if it turns out that way. So they have no reason to like spare him for anything or like do him any favors. He's he's going to get the ball as much as they can give it to him. An offensive line has been blocking well for him. So he's he's in a, a decent spot. He's it, the the matchup is not great, but his offensive line, um, his just basically how much they're gonna feed him is is enough to keep him on the radar. And he's only 6,500. So it's it's not quite like the level of of cost we would see Adrian Peterson in his prime or Derrick Henry or any of the other yardage and touchdown backs, but he's performing just like those guys. And it's, I think it's messing with people. It's definitely messing with me. I don't, I can't trust it. Like I, it's Rashad Penny. Like I don't trust him, but he keeps doing it. So like, I feel like if you're building multiple rosters, you, you probably do want to have at least one with some Rashad Penny in it. Um, other than that, uh, 
Lex nailed it with, with DK Metcalf. Like he, and this year too, he's just been, he's like an enigma this year. Like he's not producing like you would expect him to. He hasn't put up points against Arizona, uh, but he does have a, a decent matchup because Arizona has been weakest against outside wide receivers, which is kind of where they're going to want to attack. So if they're basically running Penny and two tight end sets or bringing in a fullback and you got Lockett and Metcalf on the outside, um, the, the Seattle or their matchup, they have the number six outside wide receiving points matchup based on what Arizona is allowing. And then based on how they're throwing the ball and how Arizona's allowing targets, it's the number 13 net outside wide receivers target matchup, which is, you know, it's outside the top 10. It's kind of in the middle there, but I don't know, number six and outside wide receiving points and, and Lockett, we kind of touched on it last week too, was starting to show some consistency, but then, you know, his comeback from COVID, he's been a little bit shaky since then. Uh, DK Metcalf's three touchdowns last week. I mean, maybe this is the week he finally does have a good game against Arizona. Who knows? Um, and he should be one that they they use more in a uh, run after the catch role. Like, just get him on some hitches and stuff and let him turn around and, and knock somebody down and keep moving. But Lockett is always fun to play, like, for the, the big shots. Like, you, anytime you see Lockett catch the ball, it's usually, like, 20 yards downfield, and he's running a corner route, or he's just running up the seam in the middle and scoring a touchdown off of that. So, as far as big plays go and big points go, I would probably be more likely to bet on Lockett. Um, DK Metcalf is just kind of a, an interesting way to play it as well. And then one more thing, too, like, Wilson. So say, say Arizona does get out to this huge lead. Uh, they can't keep just pounding Penny the whole game and they do have to throw Wilson leads the league in an intended air yards with 9.8. So the, like, like was Lex was saying, he's going to throw the ball deep and he's got two good wide receivers to do it. I don't know if I would consider DK Metcalf good this year, but he's been good in the past. Uh, who knows what week 18 is going to bring? Like it could be a silly week, but I don't know. The Seattle offense came out of their shell last week. Penny was involved. DK Metcalf was involved. You know, what do they do here? They've got a division opponent. They can play spoiler. Like you got some coaches. Carroll could be playing for his job. Who knows? Uh, a lot of change could happen in Seattle after this game. So there's, there's a lot of guys with like a lot on the line in this game. Uh, Wilson could be, you know, trying out for his next team or being able to direct where he's going to go, whatever it is. I don't want to get too much into the narratives, but Seattle does have a good shot to hang with Arizona to break this game open like they just did with the Lions. This could be one of the better games on the slate, as, as, and we have a lot of pieces to work with um, as far as like the receiving elements and running elements. I mean, it's, it's going to be a good game. It should be. <laughs> Point total says it will be. Yeah, and I think like like you're saying too, and it's it's tough when there's not like playoff motivation but like these guys are still have careers on the line like penny right like could be a free agent like they seem to play for money like you know guys are competitive regardless like you know wilson they're gonna go out there um so like it's it's you have to like keep that in mind you know in a last game of the season type deal um but they still have a lot of guys that are motivated to play well um and the last guy i wanted to briefly mention just like because he's had some like like four or five five targets the last three weeks and he's put up like some decent games as a uh, gerald everett like He's never a guy that you really wanted to play, but he is cheap enough where he's only 3,700 where like that kind of usage in a offense where if you're expecting them to potentially need to pass more just because Arizona's scoring on them, like he's a guy that's that interesting. Like, I don't think it's 
the best matchup necessarily, but um, he's a guy that can put up, you know, 40 yards and a touchdown on a few catches. And like, I think, I do think that's valuable at his price. Yeah. This uh, Cardinals defense has been tough against tight ends all year, but Schultz did have a pretty good game against them last week. Uh, and one more thing that you touched on earlier, Lex, was the Cardinals defense and rushing touchdowns. They are tied for the fewest with eight. Uh, New England's the other only other team to allow eight. And they've only allowed one multiple rushing touchdown games. So, I mean, it, it's we kind of think of touchdowns as fluky, but when you got a defense that's doing this, it means that there's something to it. Like they, they are playing good run defense. Now that doesn't mean that uh, Penny can't be the second multi rushing, rushing touchdown game. It's just, that's, that's the data we have right now. Um, and then touching on the the tight end position, we saw Schultz. He was kind of the, the main go-to guy for Dallas last week, but Arizona's defense has, is allowing the, 31st most tight end receiving points. And then if you look at targets based on what Arizona allows, what Seattle's doing, it's the number 29 net tight end target matchup. So Everett could definitely do something here, considering we just saw Schultz kind of put something together. But as far as what Arizona has done as a whole over the season, they have been a pretty tough tight end matchup. Yeah, I don't have a ton else. I think you guys hit on most of this stuff, just kind of general comments. Uh, you know, I had a hard time pulling the trigger on Seahawks versus the lions last week. So <laughs> I'm going to have a hard time doing it here. Like I understand that, you know, it could be a competitive game and stuff like that, but, um, it, it really hurt by the way, you know, when I was kind of high on Metcalf as a leverage play, and then I ended up not being able to pull the trigger on him and playing Antonio Brown instead of him for 400 less that, you know, I understand it's an outcomes based approach, but I was like, <laughs> like that sucks. Um, but point being, I'm very unlikely to go back to DK Metcalf. It's like, I, I would have had lightning in a bottle there. And just for all the reasons you guys said, I don't feel super strong about going back to him this week. Not that he's a bad play just by personally, um, I have a hard time going back to a guy that just scored three touchdowns and has had his own struggles. I think the the penny take is is strong, exactly like you said, Jess. Uh, just I, I couldn't believe in him and the Seahawks offensive line, but it they're doing it, and I re- I think it's a really sharp take uh, to mention that you know they can essentially run him into the ground for all they care. Like it's not like they have to save him because that is a a pretty big deal. Uh, so that's, you know, interesting just because of the volume, I think really for me, like I said, I think I personally just have a little bit of a mental block versus playing this, uh, Seahawks offense, but I don't know, I could kind of see this being a 31 to 17 game and I don't want to try to, you know, find where those points are coming from on a, a 17 out of those 17 from this offense. So not saying that's the most likely, but. I just have a hard time getting past uh, that for me. Lex, did you have something else? Yeah, I, I thought of one more thing related to like motivations and stuff. Like, you know, I didn't, I haven't tracked any of it this week. Like, I, I, I'm sure there's people on Twitter that you could probably find, but like, look for any kinds of motivation. I think is important this week. Like, there's a lot of like players that might have uh, bonuses, you know, things that they need to hit statistically uh, to get certain paydays. Like, I think that 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 is actually interesting to track because there are teams that will like 
try to help them get there, like the statistical benchmarks or like get that bonus. I know the Saints like literally did it last year trying to get Sanders like some extra catches like Antonio Brown. I think the Bucks did it last year as well. Um, so things like that are really important, like obviously beyond just like playoffs or free agency, things like that, just because, you know, there are things you can easily point to as like a reason why a player would need to perform a certain way in this game. Um, just because obviously every team is going to have some sort of like draft position thing or like health, like 18, like guys are ready for the off season. Like they might've already checked out. So I do think motivation is a big part of this week and it doesn't have to be playoff motivation. That's why I'm trying to get across. I think there's other ways that guys can be motivated as well. Yeah. One of the ones I saw was Marcus Holden will make a million dollars if he sacks Russell Wilson twice. Like he's, oh, wow. he's two sacks away from hitting that bonus. So definitely the the bonus things and I, that would be nice. I admit, I admit I'll probably search for somebody on Twitter who has all those things because that, that is pretty important. I know there are coaches that do that. Like Kyle Shanahan, he did something where I think it was Kittle was playing for some sort of a, a, an incentive and he made sure he got it kind of thing. So the, the, pay attention to those, find those. And uh, I'm going to definitely look for some and I'll tweet them out if I see them too, but uh, find those and then like see if you can figure out who the coaches are that, that have done it in the past. Yeah. Like McCaffrey, like they try to get him the 1000, 1000, I think a couple years ago, David Johnson was like, they were going to try to get him the 1000, 1000, like, way back in like 2016 and he got hurt in that game. But like the idea is like some of these coaches, like they'll literally even say it, that they're going to try to do it. And you can get a yeah general idea of which coaches are more willing to do that. And it also could depend on the situation, like certain playoff teams, maybe they're less willing if it's like a game, they don't need to do that to their players. You know what I mean? But like, there's obviously, yeah, just, yeah. Like I said, you can find people that are probably tracking it. Yeah, definitely a sharp call with this week. You know, the, the one caveat is make sure your player is sane. Uh, Antonio Brown was a little <laughs> bit confused about how he could reach his incentives. <laughs> well, it was only a few, it was only like a million and a half dollars. He lost out on by that. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. Um, but yeah, no, definitely, definitely. I think, you know, that's like one of the the biggest edges this week. And so yeah. And you, you know, anybody listening to this in the community, you know, definitely hit us up or throw it in discord. If you guys find that kind of stuff, cause that is super, super valuable. Uh, and then just, just, I, I think that's actually interesting. You know, if, if you're, if you, you know, you're seeing it like me where I'm just like, I'm having a hard time pulling trigger on the Seahawks and could see it being a little more one-sided, but you know, Russ is trying to sling it at the end you know, you got a guy who is going to get a bonus with two sacks, the, you know, the Cardinals defense would be a, a pretty uh, leverage play in that, in this spot. Um, yeah. Uh, yeah. I think that the Russell Wilson thing is interesting though, just because he is, is likely, you know, trying to, to make a good impression here, depending on, you know, next team or, or whatever. So yeah, I think all that stuff is, is important to keep in mind. All right, we good on this game? All right. Oops. Final game is New Orleans at Atlanta. Lex's Saints can make the playoffs with a win and a Niners loss. That's really all I have leading into this game. Uh, yeah, I mean, feel like that's kind of it. This Atlanta team has really just been kind of sad this year. I feel like we were, we were all a little bit excited with the offensive pieces coming into the year with the, you know, Dean Pease and the defense, uh, you know, they kind of picked things up a little bit, 
but it just seems like it's been pretty, pretty lackluster. So yeah, Lex, I'll just kind of throw it over to you here to start with the new Orleans offense, uh, you know, kind of run centric and they, they set up pretty well. Yeah, I, I do think that this, at least like the Taysom Hill, like the big names in this offense are going to be interesting just because um, Atlanta is like 29th in overall defensive DVOA. Um, Taysom's like DK scores this year as a starter, 27.7, 26.3, 9.5, 17.4. So he had two really big ones and then uh, like two, like, you know, not, not so good ones. Um, but the DVOA ranks of those opponents were like first, like Dallas on one of the big scores, but they're also very boosted by those interceptions. Um, and he also, he had like four picks in that game. So he didn't actually play well. He just had a lot of production late. And then he had a big score against the 32nd ranked jets. And then the 11th and 12th, like bucks and Panthers defenses is where he struggled. Um, and now, so he gets the Atlanta, like I said, they're a very weak, uh, defensive team. So I, I do think this matchup sets up much better for him than the last couple of weeks. Um, they've allowed quite a bit of rushing production on the ground to some of these quarterbacks, like Hertz had 60 yards, Darnold had 60 yards, Heineke had 40 uh, Lawrence at 40 cam 47, one Allen love just last week at 81 and two. Um, so I do think that that sets up nice just because Taysom he's rushed at least 10 times in every one of his starts in the last two seasons, except for one. Um, so he's going to rush a lot. He's had success doing it. He's scored. He's very effective in the red zone. Um, so I do think that he's very interesting in this game. Atlanta hasn't allowed a ton of production through the air. Um, just because like, I think only five of 16 quarterbacks have thrown for 275 yards. So they've, they haven't allowed these like big pass days, but but like I was saying too, the, that's not really what Taysom's um, getting you there in terms of like fantasy, he's doing it on the ground for the most part. So I think them just being a weak, you know, defense overall sets up nice for him. Um, his actual, like two, two of his starts last year actually came against the Falcons and he, I think he scored like four rushing touchdowns total or, or, Maybe it was just four overall touchdowns in those games. So he's he's been effective against this defense. And granted, they're a little bit different than last year. And he doesn't have Michael Thomas anymore. Um, but I, I do think that just with the with what they're able to do, um, he's he's still shown this year that he can put up big scores. So that would be it for Taysom. Like, I don't know if you want me to like keep going or just pass it up to Jess for a sec. Um, yeah, why don't you just give us the, the lay of the land here? I think, I mean, Taysom's definitely, I think that's a really strong way to start, but yeah, just why don't you just take us through the rest of the offense and then Jess can kind of come back with or add yeah. with anything. Okay. Also, I'll go through the, the passing game just quickly. Cause it's, it won't take quite as long. Um, so Atlanta's allowed like the sixth most wide receiver DK points per game this year and the fifth most catches. Um, but Callaway is the only receiver this year for New Orleans to even have a 20 point score. And he did it twice. And one of those was like with a hail Mary touchdown. So like, they've just not given these receivers kind of enough volume and they haven't been like good enough really to put up these big scores anyway. So, and then having said that about Atlanta, allowing a lot of DK points, like they still have only allowed um, six guys to even top 20. So like, even though they've allowed a lot overall, they haven't allowed a lot of like really big performances. Um, but Callaway has also had two really nice games in his last two with Taysom. He's had six for 112 on nine targets and six for 97 on 10. So he's stepping up a bit these last couple of weeks. Uh, he is moved around enough where he won't be like stuck on Terrell all game. Terrell and Fabian Moreau have like played exclusively on one side each. So he will see um, a good amount of other cornerbacks. So it's, it's not like he'll be lining up against the best one every time. Uh, so I do find him interesting. Deontay Harris was their leading receiver before he got suspended, um, but he hasn't, he wasn't used that much in his first game back. 
it could be like, you know, just him getting work back into the mix and whatnot. So he's definitely a guy that's interesting just because he has really big play ability. Um, but um, he's even with that said, he's had a couple of games this year where he broke off for these like massive touchdowns and he still didn't reach 20 DK points in any of them. So like, you're rarely going to get some like massive score out of this guy. Um, but he does show like upside. He's a guy that's even can do that double bring back with the, uh, the defense just because he's such an effective uh, power returner as well. Um, so I do think he's interesting from that sense. Like I, I didn't check, like, let me see what his price is. Like he's probably pretty cheap right now just from coming back from the injury. Oh yeah. He's like 32. So he's interesting to me at that price. Cause he can put up a big play. Like he's just so effective with the ball in his hands. Um, but I do think I, I prefer Callaway in terms of like what he can do in this game. Uh, tight ends. I'm just not super interested. Uh, Troutman, like he was rarely getting used even before he got hurt. Um, he had a couple nice games before he went down, but like one of them was against like the worst tight end defense in football in Philly this year in, in terms of fantasy, at least. And, uh, he, he had like zero catches on zero targets despite playing like 80% of the snaps last week. So like, sure he could, but he's just like, it, it's just been such a dart throw. If you're trying to like get a, a nice tight end score out of the saints this year that I, I just, I don't have any interest in that myself. And then obviously Camara last, like I'll go through him. Like he is, he is a part of the passing game. Um, this isn't something that I, I don't think the saints care about this, um, especially because like they need to win to get in, but he is, um, 70, like, I think it's like 77 yards from his, uh, 500 yards receiving, which he's done in every season of his career. It's so, like, if he cared about that, if they care about that. Like that is a statistical benchmark. Um, that's interesting, but obviously they're going to be way more focused on just getting a win. Um, and he's not been used to the air nearly as much as here with like the different quarterbacks they've had. Um, funnily enough, I just saw they they have a chance to have three different 1000 yard passers this year, which is kind of like just so ridiculous, but, uh, Atlanta, so they've allowed um, 75 um, yards like total to like basically a running back in almost every single game this year. Um, and they've allowed at least one running back touchdown in 12 of 16 games. Um, AK has 75 plus yards in nine of 12 games. And he's obviously gotten quite a bit more than that in several as well. Uh, his games. So with Ingram, he's actually had some of his less, his <laughs> lowest touch totals of the year. And I do think that's interesting to keep in mind. Like Ingram is questionable. He missed last week. And uh, that was obviously a benefit to AK. Um, I don't think I would have as much interest in it in, in Alvin Kamara if Ingram's playing, just because they're willing to like divide up that usage a bit more and take a bit of the load off of Alvin. Um, but if he's the only one back there, I think he's very interesting just because of the, the matchup. We just saw Singletary go nuts on the ground versus them last week. Um, the problem too with, with Kamara is he's not really put up these like big games or Selena's career. And granted it's like they, they're now onto a different defensive coordinator. It's not Dan Quinn anymore. Um, but uh, part of the problem is just, he hasn't been able to score as much. I think like the first six times he played Atlanta, he did not score and breeze and taste were taking a lot of those touchdowns on the ground. Um, so I, I think that if you're playing him, you're obviously expecting him to get in the end zone. And I think you're going to expect them to like throw the ball a bit more to him. Um, either to hit that benchmark or because they need to in a competitive game. Um, but I, I think it, as long as Ingram's there, like he's just not a guy that's going to put up a big enough score to be usable on your roster. Um, but either way, he's always interesting just because of his ability, obviously, and what he can do. I, I don't have to, I, at this point, I, I think I've covered pretty much everything I could possibly cover about the Saints offense. Um, so yeah, Jess, whatever you have to add, please. Like, I, I think I'm, I'm done talking. <laughs> yeah, I don't know what I can add. I can just kind of support what you're saying though. Like, I have, uh, I have all my bullet points of data here. So let's start with Taysom. 
Uh, New Orleans, as far as their matchups go, they have the number one or number 12 net pass DVOA matchup, number 10 and net adjusted sack rate, number 10 and QB passing points, number six and QB rushing points, uh, number 10 and outside wide receiver points. Uh, that, those are kind of all the, the top 10s or top 12s that I, I'm seeing as far as the passing game goes. So I do really like the number six and QB rushing points matchup and the number 10 QB passing points matchup. Uh, and then I like all of those. I had all those uh, QB rushing totals that you rattled off to <laughs> in my notes here. So I, I really like Taysom for, you know, he's probably good for a 50, 60 yard rushing game, one or two rushing touchdowns. Um, and I kind of looking at his range of it, other than that Dallas game where he threw a whole bunch, like his range has been between 21 to 28 pass attempts. 13 to 17 completions for about 150 to 225 yards and maybe a touchdown rushing. It's been pretty consistent, just about 11 attempts, all those games for 35 to 75 yards and maybe a touchdown. Um, I'm going to echo Callaway kind of looks like their top threat right now. He seems to be going to him the most, but before Harris's suspension, he had had a pretty nice game. Uh, he had, I think it was something like 85 yards and a touchdown. Uh, Gosh, playing catch up here. Yeah, so he had uh, eight targets, four catches, 96 yards, and a touchdown in that Dallas game where Taysom threw the ball like 40 times or whatever. But uh, Harris was one of the guys that was in my pool last week, and I think JM had him in his player grid too because he was minimum price, and he was such an important piece in that offense before he left with injury or suspension and then COVID. So he, if he did test positive, that could be an explanation why he didn't do so well coming back last week. Also, maybe they're facing him back in kind of thing. So I do like Harris as a uh, salary saving one-off from this game, even if you're not playing any of the other players in this game. But I do really like Taysom in this matchup. Um, going to the running game, the Saints are a top five run rate offense, which also helps Taysom and his, his running abilities. And then... Uh, Atlanta's defense has the third worst rush DVOA, six worst net or, or just adjusted line yards, and the seventh most rushing yards against this year. Uh, they've allowed the ninth most DK points to running backs, third most to quarterbacks. Like this is it, it's Taysom and Kamara. I don't know if you want to play them together or not. I kind of try to split them up, but I did. Like if I do twenty rosters, occasionally I might do one with Taysom and Kamara if they're part of my player block. Uh, New Orleans has the number 11 running back rushing points matchup, number 11 running back receiving points matchup, number six net running back target matchup. So they are a viable pair this week based on how the running game shapes up, how the, the passing game where the, the targets are most likely to go is to the running backs. And yeah, I, I'm more interested in Kamara if Ingram doesn't play. If Ingram plays, then it's pretty much just going to be probably be Taysom and and Harris for me in a stack, if I'm in a stack in uh, two players from this game, and I probably won't do a bring back, but we can get to that side when we get to that side. But yeah, nothing much to add to what Lex has already said, just kind of some uh, statistical support. Cool. Yeah. And just, sorry, I just want to add really quick, just because I was looking at something like of all the expensive backs, like your debt, you're guaranteed like motivation with him as well. Like, Jonathan Taylor is up there as well. And they need to win versus Jacksonville, but like you got Chubb who is questionable with an injury and like is they, they have no playoff incentive there. Dalvin's playing on a team that's been eliminated. Aaron Jones might not play if Green Bay rest starters. 
Najee's got a tough matchup. Like Derrick Henry's there, but he still might not play. Mixon's now out. Like a lot of these expensive backs, like may not play or have no motivation this week. So like that's still interesting in terms of like the expensive guys, like and what you can expect out of them. Yeah, super sharp. I think that's really interesting. You know, because we always have to consider the context of the slate as a whole. Uh, yeah, just to kind of echo what you guys said. Camara only in play for me, at least if Ingram is not playing Taysom is really interesting to me, just seems like all the data points kind of lead to him, you know, even with kind of like when you were rattling off stats, Jess, uh, you know, if he gets you that 10 to to 12 points through the passing game, that's a good thing. (laughs) Just kind of like adds on to his rushing totals. So, yeah, I think I really like the way he sets up and you kind of mentioned playing both him and AK together. I love that. I did that earlier this year against the Jets because kind of the same thing. You just figure those two guys are it's like they've got a chance at a solid three rushing touchdowns between the two of them. I think the situation is similar here again, if Ingram's out. Otherwise, that kind of at least for me kind of washes that. Um and then, yeah, Harris is interesting. I, I didn't think he was going to be that low priced. That's even one of those where you're not, you know, I'm not because I'm playing smaller fields and I'm playing a smaller amount of lineups. I'm, you know, rarely going to stack somebody with Taysom. But I think in this case, you definitely can just because he is so cheap. And, you know, if you do get one of those long touchdowns out of him and that's part of Taysom's 200 yards and a touchdown, and then you're getting the other, you know, rushing on the ground. Uh, yeah, I think that's that's definitely interesting. All right, New Orleans done. Let's go to the other side of the ball where we have Atlanta. Yeah, Lex, I'm going to go right back to you here. Thoughts on how they match up against the defense. Who are we even looking at on the Atlanta side of the ball? Are we Are we trying to pick a bring back or no? Yeah, this one is definitely like the tougher side of this game, um, just because the Saints defense has been playing at such a high level of late, like as long as they've been healthy, um, they're obviously super motivated where Atlanta doesn't have any motivation other than it is like one of the biggest rivalries in the sport, which like that could be enough for a lot of them. You know what I mean? Like it's a Falcon Saints week, but at the same time, when you're eliminated, it doesn't quite mean as much. Um, I don't think Ryan is I, I cannot see myself putting him on a roster if I'm being point blank, just because like, he's been really struggling um, fantasy wise since like Ridley went down. Um, and now he might not even have pits this week. Like pits is questionable with his hamstring. Uh, the St. Stevens is playing better than they were like that first game around. Um, he had his best game of the season versus new Orleans this year. So like, it's not like he can't have success, but like, like pits and like these, some of these guys, like they were a huge part of like Patterson had a massive day through the air. And now they've suddenly just stopped using Patterson to the air. It seems like, like, I think I, I wrote in here, like he had 126 yards versus new Orleans in that game. And he's totaled 88 yards in the last seven games for the year. So it's like, they've just stopped using him that way, which I'm not really sure why um, new Orleans has really limited like these like high um, scores against them. And I, I do think that this game is set up more for them to like play ball control and kind of limit the scoring on both sides of the ball, which I, I just don't think is good for Atlanta at all. Um, new Ryan's been sacked uh where did i put it like in the last since 2017 he's been sacked one five three six one nine eight three two times versus new orleans so like 
I think the New Orleans defense is very interesting just because Ryan has like been so prone to getting sacked versus this Saints team. And now like if Pitts is gone, I mean like he is really gonna have um trouble with like who he's throwing to. So I'm not interested in like Ryan really, unless like I really, I, I can't even say unless, cause like, I, I just can't see myself in a situation where I, I think that that's viable this week. I just think taste them is so much more valuable on the other side of this game. Like if you're betting on it being a higher scoring, I think that just has to mean it's like taste them is, is just the much better bet in terms of where the fantasy production like goes. Um, Gage is in a tough spot because he is more likely to see like Lattimore just as like Atlanta's best receiver remaining. Um, but Lattimore does tend to sometimes play down to the competition, which could benefit him. Um, uh, but even still, he's struggled to put up like these really big games and New Orleans has like allowed some nice games to receivers this year, but like, they've generally just been limiting like scoring production overall, which like limits like his overall upside, I think. Um, but I guess if, if Pitts is gone, you could see even more targets filtered to him. So like he could get there just on volume alone, I guess, but like, I'm not like super interested in the play. Um, New Orleans does face wide receiver targets at like um, the third highest rate in the NFL, which is interesting. Um, and then the running backs, I, I have just zero interest just because New Orleans is still very strong versus running backs. Um, you can see in my matchups, I've literally had it there every single week of this season. The same thing, just basically why, why it's so hard to put up big games against them and how few of them there've been in the last like three seasons or four seasons. Um, so I'm not really interested as long as they're not using Patterson through the air. And Davis is basically dust at this point. Um, I, I can't see myself playing these running backs like at a still like high enough price where it just seems like they're way more likely to just crater you than actually help you at this point. Lex, I'm I'm pretty sure Mike Davis scored a touchdown last week, man. He's he's not dust. <laughs> <laughs> I wish he was, and he he could have helped me out in some best ball teams, man. Uh, I don't know. Was it last week or the week before? I like, oh no, I, yeah, he, he did I saw score. the box score and I was like, holy shit, he actually made it in the end zone. <laughs> uh yeah yeah jess uh i don't know anything to add to lex's thoughts there uh no actually these are this is my skinniest notes is, is on the atlanta <laughs> side for, for today and and we i do i do my best to ring out <laughs> every little thing i can find um just a, a couple of matchup notes atlanta has the number 31 net dsr matchup they're not in a good spot at all um like looking at their their rushing stats or metrics or whatever you want to call it. Everything's in the thirties. Um, they have the number 20. I mean, it, the saints have allowed the 20th most running back receiving points. So if they do decide to go back to Cordero Patterson and they're allowing the, between what Atlanta does and what new Orleans defense, this is the number two net running back target matchup. Um, but we don't know. I don't know why they changed their offense, why they stopped using Patterson in, in the passing game. And it basically it's been Gage who's been getting all of the targets that Patterson used to be getting. Now, if Atlanta, if they're without pits and they go three wide receivers and they have Gage in the slot, he's got a pretty good shot to, to produce a, a solid game. Uh, the Saints allow the ninth most slot wide receiver points. So that could be a way to, and let me make this clear. We're not looking for ways to stack the saints and the Falcons. There are MME players out there that might, um, it, or just if you're, you know, you're trying to build some weird lineup or something like this, all the other teams get on the COVID list and we're stuck with this game. I mean, that's kind of where I'm going with what I'm saying from here on out. 
but Russell Gage is semi-interesting on his own, like even if you're not doing anything else, just because he's fairly cheap. Uh, let me see. He's 5,600. Uh, he's had 12 targets twice in the last five games. So there's, there's a little bit of juice there. Uh, the other one I would be somewhat interested in would be if Pitts is out, Hayden Hurst is only 32. He caught a touchdown last week, but even that, I mean, that's a real thin play. That was his only his second time scoring double digits. So if he catches a touchdown, he scores double. Well, that's not even true. He has a touchdown against Carolina and didn't make double digits, but without Pitts, maybe his targets kind of go up or whatever, but yeah, it, it's gauge is kind of the only interesting piece here. Cause we don't know that they're going to use Patterson in the way that they were using him. Like even the last time they played the saints when they used Patterson that way. So it kind of just leads gauge and maybe hurts or Hurst if uh, yeah. it's yeah, and even with like Pitts and Hurst, like New Orleans has been like one of the I think the toughest in terms of success rate a lot of tight ends, unless it changed over the last week. Um, and I think only two guys have even scored like ten DK points first then, and it was like Knox and Goddard, and I think both of them scored. So they've just been really tough against tight ends. When you have like Marcus Williams, Malcolm Jenkins, Mar Davis, like they have just a really tough defense. I mean, Gronk has put up like complete duds first them like in like the most recent weeks. Like I, I'm just, it's not a great match for that. I think Gage really is the one. That's like the only guy that's really super interesting in this game. Like Zacchaeus caught like two touchdowns and three catches in the, the last time they played. So it's like not really, that's hard to rely on. And he's just not being used hardly at all. So I, I do think Gage is like the only one that I'd really consider in terms of like a bring back or like if this game is, you know, if he's the, if he's anyone, if anyone in Atlanta is having success, like I think he's the one that's most likely to put up a, a nice score. Saints yeah. defense, play them. Yeah. yeah. I, I, that's what I was going to say is like, you know, all this leads me to is Saint De- Saints defense is a, a solid play. Yeah. Like, yeah. Given the matchup, given Ryan, given that they'll, even if it, the saints aren't blowing them out, they're still likely going to have to turn to the air more. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Yeah. I think that's the, the best, the best play here. You know, I don't have anything else to add. Russell Gage is at least, interesting just from the volume perspective still doesn't set up really well for like a ceiling game or anything. Uh, and then, yeah, the, the final note is just like, what are NFL coaches doing? (laughs) Sometimes it's just so hard to understand. And you just want to like, you just want to like sit them down and be like, just, just tell me like, logically uh, tell me how this is happening. (laughs) It just like, doesn't make sense. You know, they resurrect this guy and then they're like, ah, never mind. <laughs> yeah. Thanks uh, for the first half of the season. Yeah. But yeah. The, the Saints defense correlated with Deontay Harris. And the Saints defense is only the sixth most expensive. This is the first time I've looked at defenses this week. I was expecting to see them in the top three, and they're not. So that I really like that. And then the the cheap Harris correlation for the uh the double when he returns a punt for a touchdown. Yeah. Well, plus, I mean, like you said, you got the motivation. They're not like even the team, like close to the most expensive of the, on the week. They they're a team that's very likely to rack up sacks, like in this kind of matchup. And when you have a defense too, that's so effective at stopping the run. And like, if their offense can even put up like any kind of lead, like Atlanta's just generally going to need to pass more. Um, and their offensive line still is like Matt Ryan just gets sacked all the time behind it, like for the last couple of years. And the Saints have been the best at taking advantage of it. Well, I got, I got one to finish this out. 
you go Taysom, Deontay, Harris, Saints D. So you could get Deontay Harris on the double dip and you can get the stacked long 50 yarder that he gets from Taysom. <laughs> I, I actually do think Taysom is a guy that can still put up a nice score and like holding a lead just because like he can be used to run out the clock, right? Like even against the Jets, he had that like late rush touchdown. Like they, they used him even before he was a starter when James was playing, like he killed a couple of the games, just like running the ball very effectively versus like, I know in new England was one of them, like things like that. So I, I do think that honestly is like, like something that could potentially work. Um, it's, it's just interesting to think about for sure. I like that. All right, guys. Is that it? I'm good. That's a wrap, man. It's a it's a it's a full wrap this week. It's a it's a season long wrap. Yeah. We have uh, any any parting sage advice for the listeners here? <laughs> <laughs> I'm glad that there's so many OWS members that are much much better DFS players than me. <laughs> uh, <laughs> It's, it's really, it's honestly though, like as, as much as it's like you, you, when you see other people's winnings, like, obviously you are like, Oh man, like we talk all this football stuff. It's like, why, you know, I just need to get better myself, but it's like, it is really cool to like, see how many of like OWS, like just the, the thinking like behind like the lineup making in our community and like just the way everyone talks um, with each other and the strategizing. I, I do really think it's, it's awesome to see how successful like so many of these uh, players are. Yeah, it's been a great community. This is my first year with OWS. It's first year as doing a podcast too. So it's it's been a, a nice community. I've had a lot of fun with you guys, getting to know you guys and talking football with you. It's it's been awesome. Yeah, I was gonna say that too. It's been it's been a blast uh, getting to do this with you guys. It's, you know, it's it's re- it's just really cool the way that this stuff comes together. You know, it's uh, when I probably didn't tell you guys this, but the first time we got on this podcast, I was. I was a little starstruck almost. I'm like, Oh, like follow these guys on, on Twitter. And, um, you know, it's just cool, right. You know, it's, it's cool to, to have this space, you know, JM's done an awesome thing with OWS. And, uh, like you guys said, you know, hands down the best community in the industry, obviously a little biased, but, uh, yeah, I mean, it's just sharp DFS players, good people. It's a, a really, really cool place to be. So shout out to, JM and the rest of the team at OWS and all of you OWS fam members, because yeah, it wouldn't be the community that it is without you guys. So thank you so much for being here and yeah, spending time with us. And with that, uh, for this 2021 season for Lex or Jess, I'm Ben. And we hope to see you at the top of the leaderboards this weekend.